Isaiah 9. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea, on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence, as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning, fuel for the fire. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Amen? Amen. That was a prophecy of Isaiah 9 written 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, saying a child will be born to us. That, that all of this will happen, that hope, not just for the nation of Israel, but hope for the world would come through this light, Jesus, the light of the world. It's incredible prophecy of who he is. And we see that hope in Isaiah 9, and we see it fulfilled as well in Matthew 4. If you look on the screen, Matthew 4, 12 to 17 says this. Now when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea, it's the Sea of Galilee, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. And right here in Matthew 4, we see Isaiah 9. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. And those who were sitting in the land in shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. That light was Jesus. It was Jesus himself. And then it says, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that's where the, this, the Christmas story is the fulfillment of these prophecies that were given hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus came. Because the world was and is a dark place. But Jesus is the light of the world as he comes into the world to bring us that light, and that is himself. And, you know, I don't know for you if 
you've been in a, like a dark place ever, you know, or you've just even been in a, a dark room and you just kind of want the light to turn on. You des- like, have you ever watched even maybe like a, a cop show where it's kind of like the bad guy, they're looking for the bad guy and they go into the dark room and they never turn the light on? You know what I'm talking about? Like, I, I'm always like, just turn the light on, please. You've got this little teeny flashlight and you just want them because it feels like once the light turns on that everything will be okay, right? There's that, that sense. And I know... I I even have been uh, just, I, I remember going out to Joshua Tree uh, when I was little and we'd go do this little, there's like this little spot where you can do this kind of like mini spelunking, this like cave exploring. And then I remember I would lead some of my, like my nieces and nephews through there on my own as I got a little bit older and I'd have this little flashlight and you'd have to squeeze yourself through these tight little spots and you feel extremely claustrophobic and then it gets pitch black. And then I remember as I get into this open space and it's just completely dark and all I'd want to do is just turn the light on so bad to be like, I could breathe, you know, I just feel all that, te- that tension and anxiety kind of building up. Because the light brings relief. The light brings relief. The light brings hope, right? The light shows us that hope. That's the proverbial light at the end of the tunnel. That's why we're looking towards the light for that hope. And Jesus is the light. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus has come to be a light in a dark, dark place. And it's interesting even as, as you consider Isaiah 9 in this prophecy that was given that in that time, the people of Israel were in gloom, it says, right? Gloom is a kind of an ominous sounding word, but it was dark time full of gloom. And it was really because the people of Israel in that time had turned away from God. They turned away from God's word and they began to follow their own way. And they were even like seeking after, it talks about uh, how they, would, they sought after these mediums and spiritists to go even find out wisdom from the dead, kind of crazy stuff. And then and uh, the king uh, of Israel at that time, King Ahaz, would go. He was even seeking kind of help from the king of Assyria instead of seeking help from God and relying on that power of God. And that's where the people of Israel needed to, like, to turn back. And that's why Isaiah is trying to get them to turn back to God, but pointing to the ultimate light, who is the Messiah, to come. And so I ask just this question even here as we get into this is, as we consider hope, what are you hoping for? You know, even as you consider this Christmas season, what are you hoping for this Christmas? Or you may be hoping for a a Christmas where nobody argues, you know? Just a Christmas where everybody gets along, where all the in-laws are okay with each other. Or maybe you're hoping for a bunch of presents, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe you, maybe you still are and you're a grown-up. That's kind of how I am, and I have, to, I have to process that. You know, and, and maybe you're hoping for this Norman Rockwell Christmas for your family or what sort of the more modern version is a Pinterest Christmas for your family, right? And, uh, and some of us are just hoping to not have a Pinterest fail Christmas for our family and to see, you know, everything, all these creative things we've done just fall apart. But whatever that might be for you, what you're hoping for, I, I know— uh, for me, when I was a kid, I would make these lists all the time. Like, I could make these long, extensive lists, and I'd hope for all these presents, and I'd get, I'd really have to work on when I'd open my presents. And honestly, I still have to do this a little bit, which is terrible. But I have to work on when I open a present, and if it's not exactly what I want, to like make the right face. Like, yeah! Super stoked. Thank you. You know, and I was like, okay, I've got to, like, I still have to work on that a bit, but I totally remember having to work on that as a kid because I just, I, 
I would get caught up in the whole presence thing. And it's the Christmas story uh, movie, right? The whole Red Rider BB gun. He like wants it so bad that he's dreaming about it. And he's, you know, writing themes for school about it and all that. And we can kind of have some of those expectations or a hard time not being disappointed. Because really what that is, is I would say is a misplaced hope or a hope in what is wrong. And if I want to give you a a Bible verse Jesus juke on this is to look at Matthew 6, 19 to 21, where it says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's where, for me, I did check, where's my heart, you know? Where's my heart when it comes to the presence and all that, right? Like, okay, God, my heart's in the wrong place, and I want to get my heart in the right place. And, you know, that passage continues to not just talk about money, but it also talks about how God will take care of you. Don't worry, because God takes care of the birds and the flowers. Don't worry, but seek ye first his kingdom, and then all these things will be added to you. And that's really a good check for us, that seek ye first. Because we can have misplaced hope, okay? I want to talk about misplaced hope, that we have hope, we must have hope, but sometimes we can be hoping for the wrong things and be hoping in the wrong things. And God wants to kind of take us and, all right, well, let, let, me, let me check this. Let me check where I'm at with what am I hoping for and who am I or what am I hoping in. And as we look at that, I want to just look uh, into four different groups of people uh, in Israel like, at the time of Christ, okay? And these people all had hopes of who the Messiah would be and what the Messiah would do. And they had different ways of kind of living out this life for God. And the first are the Pharisees. Pharisees always get you know, a bad rap. But here's the deal with the Pharisees. Like many people, they had great intentions, but were going about things in the wrong ways often, right? They, they wanted to be holy. They wanted to live for God. That's where all this is coming for was the sense of, you know, them wanting to live for God. And so they create all these rules and they're following all these rules very, very strictly. Now, these guys, they believed in what we would call the the written law, but also the oral laws, and this is part of what makes them different, but they were just all about legalism and following all these rules. Then you have a group called the Sadducees. Now, they didn't believe in the oral law, only the written law. Now, the Sadducees wanted to impact the world by uh, what they wanted to do to live for, for God in their way was to mostly like hold high offices in society. They, many were priests, even the high priest. Different, they were wealthy, kind of trying to impact culture in that way for God. And so they were trying to influence uh, in, in different sorts of ways. And then there were the Essenes. Now the Essenes were a group of people who just said, you know what? This world is evil. We can't live in culture or society. So we're going to go live like, you know, this monastic separatist life separately out in the desert. And we're going to be alone. And that's going to keep us holy because the world can't taint us, right? So you've got these Essenes living out their spirituality in that way, their holiness in that way. And then finally, we have the zealots. Now, the zealots said, oh, we're not hiding from anything or anybody. We're going to go right at them. And you know what? This Roman Empire who rules over us and is oppressing us and has occupied our land, they're the symbol of sin in this world. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take them out. And so they were guerrilla warfare, military extremists, and they went to try and fight against the great evil of the Roman Empire. Okay? And they believed that 
you know, that the Messiah, the point of the Messiah was that he would come and would save them from their oppressors and would be at the front of the, the battle line, sword raised, going to go kill the Romans, right? That was what, what they believed the Messiah would come and do. And they all kind of, I feel like, probably thought like the Pharisees, would, that Jesus would come, the Messiah would come and say, oh, good job. You made up even more rules than I made up. That's what I want, you know? And like, well done with all of your rules. Let's, let's write some more together, you know? And so they would go on and the Essenes were probably thinking like, wow, we're so holy. The Messiah will come and, and help everybody live, you know, like separate, like monk-like lives. And so you've got all these people that thought they were doing the right thing and they thought they were hoping for the right thing, especially these zealots who thought Jesus was going to come and to, and to take down the, the Roman Empire through fighting. But often what Jesus does, and when he was presented, a lot of the time even with two, um, like two options for something by people, there's an argument between one thing or another, Jesus would say, uh, how about none of the above, you know, and he'd go for the third option. Jesus didn't always just buy into whatever they were trying to get him to buy into, and he said, no, I've got a, I've got a better way that you're not even thinking about. And so that's what's going on, too, with the, with the Messiah coming. Like, hey, you, I know you think that this is what you're hoping for, but I've got something better for you. Don't try and put me, I'm God, don't put me in a box to think that I will do whatever you want me to do. Because you might think that's good, but I've got great. That whole thing of, you know, the enemy of great is good, right? Because then we think we've got it, but we, there's something even better for us out there that God has for us. And so I think, all right, well, where can we you know, have hope in something that's maybe good, but not God's best. And so I think of even things like, um, like Christian picketers, you know, like people that picket for Jesus and they have got their big signs. And I think, wow, you know what? Those people have really great intentions. They want people to come to know Jesus. They want people to repent of their sin and to follow God. But you know, it's like one of those like, "Eh, but maybe, you know, that's not the best way to go about it. Maybe God has something different for them to do. I think of Facebook fighters, right? Facebook fighters and we're people out there fighting the battles of Facebook for whatever ideology that you might have, that somebody might have. And you think sometimes you see people fighting for their issue that they might have and they've completely, you know, just wasted their witness as a follower of Jesus. And and it, you know, and it can be really sad that their thing might be good. Your thing might be a good thing to argue about. But was there something better, you know, that God might have for you? To, or maybe a higher priority. And then you think sometimes now, some of you might disagree with this one. It's a little riskier. But uh, I'm going to say morality legislation. And I would say this specifically for right now, exactly where we are today. And I think that we have very good intentions when we want to tell a secular world to live with Christian morals, but sometimes we could be fighting a battle, but it's the wrong one. Sometimes we can be fighting a battle, but it's the wrong one. And we need to recognize that people need a savior not to live out a moral code without him. And so I want us to consider many things that we can spend a lot of time and energy into as followers of Jesus. But sometimes God says, ooh, maybe you're hoping for or hoping in the wrong thing. Because if we're hoping for a world of people that live out biblical values without Jesus, we've really done the wrong thing. 
you know? It's Jesus is what people need. And then will come those biblical values. So that's, I don't know, these are kind of some of these ways that we can get into this. Because the zealots are fighting the Romans, great, but they missed Jesus. The Pharisees were obeying the law, great, but they missed Jesus. How are we doing good things but missing Jesus? And I can say right here, I can preach sermons and I can work for God in a church. And I can miss Jesus. We got to like watch for that in our lives. How are the ways that we are having hope in the wrong things? And we actually miss Jesus. The whole, the whole thing with this season of Advent, this, this season that we're in, kind of started traditionally last Sunday and goes till Christmas, is this season of waiting, longing, and hoping for the Messiah to come. And that's this, this, this season of time that we're in right now. And so we need to keep our eyes fixed on who Jesus is and who he says he is and be longing for him to come into our lives and then to be made on display as the light of the world in our lives. Because we've got, we've got hopes, right? We've got these hopes. And I would ask, like, what are your hopes? You know, sometimes we think of hopes like, like as I talked before about this perfect Christmas. Like, God, I just hope for a perfect Christmas with my family. Or I hope that my needs are met. Or I'd hope that I could have someone to love. I hope that I would have someone to love me. I would hope that I could be known by someone. I could hope that I would have healing in my life, whether that's physically or emotionally, whatever kind of healing that we need or we think that we need. I would hope that I could have a job. I would hope for my fears and my worries to be relieved. And those are wonderful, wonderful hopes. But I also think that we have, we can, we can have a deeper hope, okay? Kind of a next layer below that hope, okay? And what I mean by that is when we hope for someone to love us, we can hope for Jesus to love us and that hope is fulfilled. When we hope to be known we can hope then a layer deeper that to be known by God and that, that hope is fulfilled. We can hope for these healing of physical and, and emotional things in our lives. We can have a deeper, one layer deeper hope that Jesus will come and provide spiritual healing for us that will lead then to the other healing in our lives. And that's where I think this all comes down to seek ye first. Right? We have all these great hopes for our lives and our dreams and our friends and our families and the world and whatever that might be. And God says, that's great. I want you to have that. I want to help you in that. But first, seek me. Seek my kingdom first. And then all these things will be added to you. And I think as we hope in Christ, we will see our hopes fulfilled. And then, you know, then he's going to work out through those other layers. What's your deepest hope? What's your next layer hope? You know, I heard this quote this week. In the absence of the hope that we long for, we settle for what's available to us. In the absence of what we hope for, we, or in the absence of the hope that we long for, we settle for what's available to us. We settle for comfort. We settle for security. We settle for the lusts of the flesh. We settle for other people and, and, and finding our needs to be met through 
other people in this life. And so we can't stop hoping, but we also can't settle that God has maybe bigger, deeper hopes for us as we seek him first. So what are you hoping for? But then secondly is, what are you placing your hope in? Or better, who are you placing your hope in? Because it really, really matters who we place our hope in. And like, oftentimes we can place our hope in our money, right? We can, like, okay, I can feel secure because I've got cash. Or I feel really worried because I don't have any, right? We can place our hope in our talents and our skills and our experience in this life. We can place our hope in uh, a person that we depend on for everything. We can place our hope in the government. You know, the government's going to fix all of our problems for us. Or the government's going to ruin our lives, right? So whichever side of that issue you're on. We place our hope then even in things like alcohol or drugs or sex. We place our hope in escape, escaping into TV or video games or even like the next adventure we can go on to, to get away from the real world. Like I don't, whatever that is, we can place our hope in the wrong things as well when our hope is to be on Jesus. Romans 15, it actually starts in, let me read verse 12 before I read the verse on the screen. Verse 12 quotes Isaiah again. It says, there shall come the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles hope. And then it says this, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That as we place our hope in Jesus, as we place our hope in him and in him alone, we see this joy and this peace as we believe in him and we'll see the power of the Holy Spirit on display in our lives. Because here's the thing, like our our life has dark times, right? As it talked about, in those times of darkness, we can be in dark times of life. And it's hard to have hope in those moments, right? Right? It's hard. It's easy for us to lose hope. It's easy to feel depressed. It's easy to feel anxious. It's easy to feel even just blah, like there's nothing that matters. And sometimes God's doing something in those moments that we can't see, that we don't know what's going on. Sometimes we're in a fight and we don't know it. I'm, I'm really excited about that longest night event, and I hope that that could be something helpful for you and maybe friends or family of yours that could come to you know, just experience a different sort of worship experience that maybe could connect with where they're at or where you're at. But this week, I just want to share something that this week is an interesting week for me. I, I just felt, I just felt blah all week. Like I just felt down and I felt like I had no motivation and I felt like I just wanted to sit in my house and watch TV. That's kind of like just how I felt this week. I just felt blah. And I didn't want to work. I'd be even like thinking about this message and I'd go to work and I'd just, I'd go to work on it and I would just feel like, I just don't want to, you know, or I was like, I just got nothing. I just felt blah all week. I was even telling B, like we were out last night. I was just like, I just felt blah all week. I don't know. I don't know what's going on, you know? And then last night, in the middle of the night, I had a dream. And I had this dream. I kind of don't remember what was exactly happening before this moment, but I had this dream that I was actually in my room, in my bed, which was weird because I was in my room in my bed. And, but I had this, this, in this dream, all of a sudden I felt afraid. 
And I felt this really strong wind come up in this dream. And this strong wind picked me up and slammed me into the wall on the other side of my room. Just slammed up against the wall. And I woke up. As I slammed into the wall, I woke up. And I felt fear. Like massive, massive amounts of fear. Like I felt like if I took my foot out of the bed, like something would get me. Like it was weird. It was just intense, intense fear. And I recognized it as like a spiritual warfare kind of moment, okay? I recognized this moment as the, like, I need to pray. I need to go hard. And I just started praying hard. This is 3.30 this morning, okay? And I just started praying and praying and praying and in the name of Jesus, rebuking the enemy, asking God to rebuke the enemy. May angels come over my house. May you just defeat Satan in his attempts to get me down. And you know what was awesome? And it's kind of similar to some other stories we told back when we were talking about spiritual warfare a lot, but was it was exactly in that moment where Blah was gone, okay? And it was exactly in that moment that I knew, (laughs) I knew that this Blah was, that was the spiritual warfare, okay? The Blah was, was the enemy getting me down. And what I believe is that because I, I just believe that all of that was happening because there's somebody in this room, there's people, many people probably in this room, who feel a sense of hopelessness, who feel a sense of dread, who feel afraid, who feel blah. And you know what? Jesus is your hope. I want you to hear that, that in this moment right now, you have hope in Jesus, the light of the world. And the hope can only come through him. That you are living in a moment of despair. And God is saying, I am with you in this moment. I am here for you in this moment. You have nothing to fear because I am with you. You have nothing to despair of because I am with you. Your life has purpose and meaning because I am with you, Jesus says. And I hope that you hear it. And I hope that you hear it in this uh, supernatural sort of way that, that God is speaking to you individually in this moment through his Holy Spirit to say, your life matters, your life has meaning, you have hope because of him. Amen? I mean, come on. <laughs> we got... We got to recognize this. And I was going to read some U2 lyrics, but I think I'll move on. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but there, the thing is, is that we have hope because there is that light, right? There is a light that we can't see at times. There is this light that's in front of us that is Jesus. And sometimes we need to be reminded of it. I want to tell you a story uh, it's a testimony of someone that's part of our Celebrate Recovery ministry here at Calvary that wrote out their story and was just willing for it to be shared. And this story, I think, is just awesome because it can help us to have a hope in a dark time, but also recognizes how God gives us hope through these kind of stories. They say, I arrived at Celebrate Recovery about four years ago after more or less 40 years of drinking. My third marriage was going down the drain. I had a one-year-old son. Grew up with functional, angry, functional alcoholic parents who were physically abusive. They divorced when he was in sixth grade. Began to get involved in, you know, people, the kind of wrong crowd that were the ones that welcomed him in and got involved with drugs, sex, and, and drinking, a lot of drinking. And then in high school, he went to a church and accepted Christ. 
And, you know, you think, like, you want that to be the, where everything gets good and everything's fine now. But it, it, it wasn't. And there was two failed marriages, countless destroyed relationships. And he says, I was still blaming everyone else for my problems. Then, got married a third time. And uh, they went to church, uh, even. And two years of dating, they got married, and he drank. They had a baby, and he still drank. And his wife gave him the get sober or get divorced choice. And he said, you know what? That was the third time I received that option. And he said, this time I actually recognized that I had a problem, and I need to work on it. So he says, I went online looking for help and found the Celebrate Recovery at Calvary Church. It's awesome, right? He says, this is a key line too. Hearing participants' testimonies made me realize that others had lived my life yet found hope. Okay? Hearing those stories of people, other people who'd gone through similar things, not the same, but similar things, and they had seen God work in their life, and that was awesome for him because that allowed him to have hope that there is a future for me, that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. So I went through all the different times of sharing and step studies and all of that and said, but inside I was still a scared little kid who stutters and who just wants to fit in and be loved. A kid who always heard that he was worthless and that he would never amount to anything. He said, I'd spent my whole life building walls of worldly success, education, sarcasm, manipulation, and anger to protect myself. And those defenses made me an impossible person to live with. I realized I was destroying my relationships. And so this person, through God and through the work that they were doing through this ministry, has been able to, at that point of writing this story, was four years sober with his family. Yeah, it's amazing, right? Praise God. I love, too, though, that he writes, I still do selfish and wrong things that hurt relationships, but I'm getting better. And I believe that I'm allowing God control of my life rather than himself. And so that's just where we see that there is hope, right? As we see these stories of people whose lives, this person's life should have been hopeless, countless destroyed relationships, he says. But Jesus and Jesus' work through the body of believers gave hope. And so we need to have that hope in Christ and the work that he is doing in people. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, it says in Hebrews 6.19. But we got to remember that our only hope, okay, our only hope is in Jesus. That it is Jesus who is the light of the world, nothing else. That it is Jesus who, who is this child, this child that was born to us, that all of this says the government will rest upon his shoulders and all of that. Jesus is that child. He is the fulfillment of the prophecy. He is the light in the darkness. And he is the one that says of himself in John 8, 12, he spoke again to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. And he even says this kind of in the same season uh, of time as just a couple uh, chapters later, he goes 
and celebrates uh, what was called the Feast of Dedication, which nowadays is called Hanukkah. Now, what Hanukkah is, and this is why I will celebrate it tonight, as tonight is the beginning of Hanukkah, but what Hanukkah really is, it was the Feast of the Rededication of the Temple of God, right? So these The bad guys, Antiochus Epiphanes, and they had come in and they took over Jerusalem and they took over the temple and they went in and they made an altar to Zeus where the altar was to God and sacrificed a pig on it and defiled the temple of God. And these other guys came in, you know, the Maccabees, and they fought them and they got rid of them and they won the battle and then they rededicated the temple. Now, there's a legend that goes along with that that we don't totally know if it's true or not, but that they, the, they were trying to keep the candelabra, the menorah, lit in the temple, and there wasn't enough oil for it to stay lit for eight days, but it did miraculously. So that's where you get the whole eight nights and all that stuff, okay? I don't want to go on too long about all of this, but here's why I would celebrate this, because our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and the work of Jesus— the light of the world, what he has done on the cross and through his resurrection for us is what has made these bodies be able to be that temple of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to worship and say, God, please, every year, rededicate this body, this temple to you and your glory. May my life be about your glory. May my life be pure in a way that can display you, Lord, the light of the world. I want to be a light for him. And so even as you might consider that, how can your life display the light of the world in that way? And so that's what I want to be about. I want to be about being that, like consistently rededicating this you know, this broken down body to be, no, the temple of the Holy Spirit. But within all of that, again, only Jesus can be our hope. And I think it's, it's interesting too, just the kind of last thing to look at. It's interesting to look at how in the time that Jesus was born, the whole Christmas account starts with, right, in Luke 2, in the days of Caesar Augustus, right, he said a census must be taken of the whole land that was under the Roman rule, which was like everywhere, basically, right, and included Israel. And so this Caesar, I don't know if you know some of this stuff, we've talked about some of this, but Caesar, he believed he was God, he talked about, like, the, the, the news of his birth was called the good news, the gospel. That uh, there, there's some other things. Uh, that he was the bringer of peace. He was the son of God. He was the savior. He was the Lord. Uh, his birth was celebrated by a 12-day holiday called Advent. His titles were cosmic savior, atonement for Rome's past sins. All of this. And so then when we see in the Christmas story, even as early as still in Luke 2 when the angels come to the shepherds and they say, do not be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy for all the people that a Savior is born who is Christ the Lord and he will bring peace on earth. Even right there, it's a radical declaration against who thought he was the God of this world. And all these titles then have now been kind of taken over by Jesus. 
And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You are not the gospel. You are not the atonement. You are not the bringer of peace. You are not the savior. You are not the Lord. I am that. And guess what, people of Israel? Guess what, people that want to be followers of Jesus? You can't do both. This whole thing with these titles is that we are forced to choose. We cannot place our hope in the God of this world and in Christ. We are forced to choose. Kind of like the great old Bob Dylan song, you're going to serve somebody. It might be the devil or it might be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. I love it. And it's how it is, okay, that you have to, you are faced with a choice. There can't be this sense of finding our hope in the world and then trying to find our hope in Christ as well. We got to choose who we will serve and who we will place our hope in. And so what we want to do now is to respond to this, to respond to the hope of God. And uh, we have a, a couple ways. If you've got your bulletin, I encourage you to pull it out. There's like a little uh, a part in there that talks about the response, and it has some prayers to consider through. And I want you to, uh, you know, whether that's today or later or whatever, to consider your deepest hopes for yourself, your deepest hopes for your friends and family, and your deepest hopes for the world. And to recognize that the fulfillment of that is come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Fulfill our hopes. Awaken our hopes. But what we want to do now is we want to say, we want to take a, like a tangible step to recognize that Jesus, the light of the world, is the fulfillment of our hopes. So you see all around this room we have these pallets with these candles. And we're going to have a time of, of worship and singing but what we want to do is we want to say, okay, God, you are the fulfillment of my hope. You are the light of the world. And we want this to be this visual representation that Jesus, the light of the world, is the fulfillment of all of our hopes, our deepest hopes that we have in this world. So as I would come, I would invite you to come in a moment, but to light a candle that represents Jesus as the fulfillment of my hope and the deepest hopes that we have in this world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do pray that that simple prayer of peace on earth, God, that you would bring peace to this earth through you, through knowledge and relationship with you, God. And so I pray for all those hopes that we have deep down. I pray, God, that you would minister to our hearts and connect our hearts to the hope that we have in you and you alone, Lord Jesus. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.